And last week, Stan, who's sitting right up here, was preaching on Psalm 23 at Surf City Church, and both of them are bringing out their giftings. We're going to talk about bringing out your gifting today and how incredibly important that is. So, uh, yeah. My name is Dave Householder. Blessed to be your Bible teacher. Get your Bibles out, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. There's Bibles all over the place. If uh, you don't have one, go ahead and grab one. Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. And we are going verse by verse through the book of Acts. Outward bound is our theme, and the book of Acts is all about the church. The first Christians, after Pentecost, were a piece of the pie of Judaism. Judaism, picture like a pie, like an apple pie. And Christians were a part of that. It was basically Jews for Jesus, and it was uh, a minority of the Jewish movement. And in the book of Acts, you have a breakout. You have the Christians breaking out of the Jewish pie and reaching the whole world. So it became a, a universal faith system for all people. And this is what the story of Acts is all about. How many of you have Jewish blood? No. You see, we're, we're all here because of what happened in the book of Acts. I've got Norwegian blood. When I was in Israel, everybody thought I was a Russian Jew because I read Hebrew and looked like a Russian. And they kept saying, you're a Russian Jew. I said, no, I'm not Russian. My ancestors are Norwegian. I'm American. And uh, you're Jewish, aren't you? No. I said, what's your name? David. Told you, your name's Jew. You're, you're, you're <laughs> really uh, not, not Jewish. Not Jewish. But uh, this is the story of sort of like a, a, a ground fire jumping over a roadway into another field. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. And we're all believers because of what happened in the book of Acts, and especially what happened in this chapter. We're going to look at a Western showdown today. This town ain't big enough for the both of us, and we have a major showdown going on in Acts 13, 4, and following. People who think the Bible is boring have not read the Bible. The Bible is full of lots of drama, lots of human stuff, and the same stuff that we are dealing with. So let's get right at it. And what's really interesting is Jen's story about the, the Hindu doctor is going to come back in a real interesting way. I didn't know she was going to talk about that. But it really has to do with the name of Jesus, which is coming up in just a few verses. So hang on to your hats. Verse 4. Barnabas and Saul are in Antioch. Antioch is the missionary church. Jerusalem is where everything started, but it quickly became sort of bureaucratic and run by the same people, and Antioch became the church that was sending missionaries, and Paul and Barnabas were the first two to be sent out by the Holy Spirit. This is the breakout I was telling you about. They're breaking out of the Jewish apple pie. Went down to the seaport of Seleucia, and then sailed to the island of Cyprus, which is in the Mediterranean Sea. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So which three people do you have? Saul, otherwise known as Paul, and Barnabas, and John Mark, and you've got his gospel in your Bible, second book of the New Testament. So they have left Antioch, they got in a boat, and here's the map. Up in the upper left corner, inland a little bit, you've got the town of Antioch. And Antioch was a very important city. It was a major Christian city. It's in the, kind of on the border between Turkey and Syria, 
right where the big earthquakes were a few weeks ago. So that's kind of where that is. They went down to the port, Seleucia, which is the port of Antioch. They got in a boat and crossed over to Cyprus. This is the Mediterranean Sea. They landed in a town called Salamis, and they're going to end up in a place called Paphos at the end of the chapter. So what we have here is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. And you might want to take some notes on this because it's going to help you understand the whole rest of the book of Acts. Everybody clear on the geography? They're leaving Antioch, they went down to Seleucia, got in a boat, crossed over to Salamis, and they go by land on the way through, stopping in at Jewish synagogues, which at first they thought was a pretty good idea. They're about to get kicked out of a whole bunch of them along the way. And Paul gets really frustrated and knocks the dust off his sandals eventually, says, that's it, I'm done with this, I'm going off to the Gentiles, which he does in Galatia, which is coming up next week. You have, this is very important, a blending of three mega ethnicities. Much like Orange County is about a third Anglo, a third Latino, and a third Asian, roughly. You have three mega ethnicities in this story and in this part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the biggest empire in the world. Rome was the biggest city in the world. And they had an incredible level of civilization. In the Roman Empire, if you got beyond your childhood diseases, you generally lived to be about 70. They had pension plans, they had nursing homes, they had hot and cold running water. This was not a backwater. The Roman Empire was a massive multicultural empire with three major ethnicities. You've got the Greek ethnicity, and Paul is a Greek. He's a, a Greek speaker. He grew up in the Greek culture. Alexander the Great took over half of what is now what was then the Roman Empire earlier on, and he imposed Greek culture all over the place. So Paul's Bible was the Greek Old Testament, and he would read that, and he was definitely most comfortable in the Greek world. We have three Jews here of different ethnicities. You've got the Greek Jew, Paul. You've got the Aramaic or Semitic Jew, Barnabas, Bar-Naba, the son of Naba. And he was an Aramaic speaker. And in modern-day Syria, Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, uh, Jordan, what is now Israel and Palestine, that whole area was an Aramaic-speaking area. And Aramaic was the language of Jesus. That's what he grew up speaking. Semitic. Semitic means Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, Middle Eastern people. They all speak Semitic languages. Semitic languages, I've got a little secret to tell you, they're all the same language. They're just a little different. It's like Portuguese and Spanish. And they all have a certain mentality. Try this one on. Their language has no past, present, and future. How do you think that would affect the way people think? They have two tenses, things that are in process and things that are finished. So their whole mind is wired up differently. It's not just different words. Remember flashcards? You ever learn languages with flashcards? It's not just plugging in different words. It's a whole different operating system. Semitic people think differently than those of us who speak English, Greek, Latin, German, French, those languages are all related to. Who thinks we have trouble in the Middle East because we don't understand each other's mindset? It's not just the words, it's the mindset. 
what we say and what they say the same thing might mean a whole different thing because of the different operating systems. So you've got Paul, who's a Jew, who's really into the Greek culture. His Hebrew name is Saul. You've got Barnabas, which is an Aramaic name. Bar means son of, like Johnson, Swenson, Olson, that kind of thing. And you've got a Roman, John Mark, Yohanan, which is his Hebrew name, because his mother was probably Jewish. Marcus, which is as Latin as you can get. Think of Marcus Aurelius or a name like that. So you've got a Latin, or his dad was probably a Roman, Roman soldier, Roman bureaucrat in Jerusalem. So you've got a Roman, a Semitic person, and a Greek. You've got a blending of the three mega ethnicities which are in conflict and swirling around in this area. Three major, three major cultures, three major language groups, and Jews from all three. And it's affected you. Those are the three cultures that have created Western culture. You think, research, and play like a Greek. You do. You think like a Greek. The Greeks taught us how to think. They came up with philosophy and logic. The way we argue when we argue with each other, we use Greek thought patterns. Entertainment. How many of you have watched either Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime in the last month? You can thank the Greeks for that. They invented drama as we know it, and they had huge drama contest. They had their version of the Academy Awards, and they spent a lot of time in amphitheaters watching drama. And the great dramatists of Greece are the forerunners of everything you see on TV that's a TV show, and the movies we see and everything else. You think, play, and research. They invented what we know of as the scientific method, how you check things out. The Greeks knew that the world was round 2,000 years before Columbus figured it out. They figured it out through measuring the sun and the angle and everything else. They, they invented science, logic. Who remembers geometry class? Who had a hard time with geometry class with the proofs and stuff? That was invented by Euclid, Euclid the Greek. And Euclid also, because of geometry, contributed to logic and how we think. So you think, research, and play like a Greek. So you're like Paul in that way. You believe and pray like an, uh, uh, an Aramaic-speaking Semitic person. You're like Barnabas. You pray to a Semitic God. The God we know of is the God of the Bible. Jesus was a Semitic person. Our spirituality in Western culture is very Semitic. We think like Greeks, but we pray like Semitic people. We pray like Aramaic speakers. Our whole spiritual heritage came through those folks. And you govern and organize and build like a Roman. Our whole government is, what did they call their gathering? The Senate, for goodness sake. The way we organize, the way we have bureaucracy, the way we do things, the way we organize our armies in officers and enlisted, the whole thing is Roman. The way we pave roads is Roman. They invented concrete, by the way. And they built like crazy. Mulholland's aqueduct would have never worked without Romans figuring it out. Do you know that the Pantheon in, in Rome is in perfect condition from 2,000 years ago? It's a, the biggest non-reinforced concrete dome in the world. They figured out how to make a gigantic dome without reinforcing it. We still can't make concrete as good as they did. So it's fascinating how
we are a mix of the same three cultures as we're coming together here in chapter 13. We govern, organize, and build like Romans. We believe and pray like Semitic people. We think, research, and play like Greeks. And you are the heirs, the inheritors of these three cultures which clash here in chapter 13. You've got uh, tres hombres, three men. You've got uh, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark breaking out of the Jewish mold. And these three guys are on their way to change the world, and you might think that that's overstated, but it's not. Paul, historically speaking, any historian, any believing, not believing, atheist, whatever, any historian in any university will tell you that Paul was among the five most influential people in human history. If you were to remove him from human history, the whole world would be a different place. Completely different place. Because he's the one who took the Christian faith and made it something that everybody had access to. Whether or not you were Jewish, whether or not you were Semitic, whether or not you had that background. That's a big deal. And he got called into the home office for doing it. What do you mean you don't have to be circumcised? What do you mean they don't have to eat kosher? What's the, what's the deal with this? And there's lots of stuff that's going to be coming up in the book of Acts where they struggled through these things. Verse 6. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos. Remember, they crossed the island from one place to another. So they finally reached Paphos where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet. And this is really interesting, especially since what Jen said. Jen was saying the one thing they miss is Jesus. Well, they meet a guy named Bar-Jesus or Bar-Yesus or Bar-Yeshua. Once again, we got a whole bunch of different languages here. Bar means, once, once again, what? Son of. So, Jesus' name in Aramaic was Yeshua. That's what people called him in his world. Nobody called him Jesus. They called him Yeshua. What's Spanish for Jesus? Jesus, which comes from the Greek, Jesus, which is what the Greeks would call him. Paul would call Jesus Jesus because that's a translation of Yeshua. And so this guy was a Semitic person, this sorcerer, because he had the name Bar, which means he's an Aramaic speaker. Bar, Yeshua, Bar, Jesus. Luke writes Jesus because he's a Greek-speaking person. So he puts Bar, Jesus, son of Jesus. Now, Yeshua is a fairly common name for Aramaic speakers at the time. I still remember I was so freaked out when I went to a baseball game as a little kid, and there was a kid, there was a baseball player out there named Jesus, you know. Uh, Jesus, so I thought, Dad, this guy's named Jesus, and he's batting. And I didn't realize that Spanish-speaking people often name their kids Jesus, but that's just something we don't do in English, but that's something that was common in, uh, in uh, Spanish. In fact, out in Brego Springs, the, the football team a few years ago, they had a quarterback whose name was Jesus Ornelas. And uh, I was thinking, well, a quarterback like Jesus, they're going to win every game. You know, it's just kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> but uh, but you, have, you have Bar Jesus, Bar Yeshua, and the Aramaic version of the New Testament says Bar Shuma because they're so offended that the name Jesus got thrown in there that it's son of the name. 
it says, because they just kind of freaked out that it says Bar Jesus, Bar Jesus there, Bar Shuma. So, you see where the cultures are sort of kind of grinding around here? This uh, sorcerer had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus. Guess what nationality he was? You don't get more Roman than Sergius Paulus. That's, that's about as Roman as you could possibly get. And so you've got Tres Hombres showing up and Sergius Paulus, and you've got this Aramaic wizard doing all kinds of sorcery, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear what these two are saying because they're kind of creating a stir wherever they go. But Elimas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. And we have a dirty, hairy moment at this point. You feel lucky today, huh, punk? You know, you just, just see it down. I'm not kidding. This, Paul goes all dirty, hairy on people all the time. Now, for those of you younger, have, I've already had two people say, who's dirty, hairy? I said, Jack Reacher. Just think, just think Jack Reacher for your generation. Same thing. Paul just looks him in the eye and says, it's showdown time. It's showdown time. And Paul was a disagreeable person. When we get to be with the Lord in eternity, if you schedule some time to be with Paul, know that after a couple days you'll be done. Difficult person. Difficult person. And I'm going to show you why that's important. Acts 13, 10 through 12. And Dirty Harry, Jack Reacher said, not bar Yeshua, not bar Jesus, but you son of the devil. Your name's wrong. Let me rewrite that. You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Paul has never taken a Dale Carnegie course. Win friends, influence people, that kind of stuff. No, he's, uh, he's, he's just you know, staring this guy down. Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you'll be struck blind. How's that for assertiveness? Not just telling him off, but striking him blind. That's, shall we say, confident. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for, I imagine, for he was astonished at teaching about the Lord. Yeah, and he also had seen what we call power evangelism. Now, there's evangelism through love. There's evangelism through reaching other people. There's evangelism through prayer. There's evangelism through power. You pray for healing over someone and there's an unbeliever there that, and that person gets healed, that's called power evangelism. And that's what we have right here. Power evangelism. <laughs> Teaching about the Lord. Now, here's the deal. People have a misconception about Christianity that if you get saved, you're going to turn from Dirty Harry into Mr. Rogers. 
God will not do that. Some of us are wired like Mr. Rogers, and that's fine. Who thinks Mr. Rogers had a big effect on the world in a good way? We're, we're all wired differently. And being wired differently, God takes what we are, the best of us, and brings it out. He doesn't change our basic DNA. He created your DNA. You were made in the image of Almighty God at your birth, at your conception, at the very conception when your mothers and fathers and DNA came together. Your design and your temperament was set. And Paul was given a dirty, hairy temperament. And some people are given a Mr. Rogers temperament and everything in between because God uses all of those different temperaments and giftings to get his will done. God doesn't wreck us and turn us into something else. Paul takes what we are, takes the best of it, and makes it better through his Holy Spirit. It doesn't say in here that Paul's ego got a hold of him. It says the Holy Spirit fell on him and he went dirty hairy on the guy. In other words, the Holy Spirit energized who Paul was and made it work. You are wired up perfectly. Do you have a tendency towards sin? Yes, you do. Do you have a tendency towards selfishness? Yes, you do. Do you have a tendency to bend the truth when it's in your favor? Absolutely. But your basic wiring, God said, and he created the male and female, and behold, it was very good. We are very good and also tend towards flaws. And what Jesus did on the cross takes care of the flaws. And we need to continue to get his forgiveness for that. But if you're wired like Mr. Rogers, the Lord will bring out the best of Mr. Rogers. If you're wired like Dirty Harry, he'll bring out the best of Dirty Harry. If you don't believe me, look at 2 Corinthians 11. Paul's a piece of work in a good way. Now let's say you're God, just for fun. And you say, well, these believers who are Jews, that's great, but I want to reach the world. I'm going to need somebody tougher than nails. I'm going to need somebody who can stand up under anything. And right now I don't need a Mr. Rogers. I need a Clint Eastwood. Here's Paul writing. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes, which a lot of people don't survive. Imagine, probably nothing but scar tissue on his back. Three times I was beaten with rods called a caning in Singapore, by the way, and a lot of people die going through a caning. Once I was stoned. He survived a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but who are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold. 
without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides this, I have the daily burden of my concern for, all you, for, for the churches, all you folks, you say. If that wasn't enough, you guys are giving me ulcers. So let's say you're God and you want to reach the world. What better person to use? I need a guy who can survive whippings, stonings, canings, lots of jail time, and, uh, and the like. And he found a guy named Shaul, Saul, and said, I've got some work for you to do. And what did he do? He blinded him. What did Paul do here? He blinded the other guy. He's got street cred with blinding. He knows, all, knows his way around that stuff. Oh yeah? Here. Let me give you some of what I had. Your DNA. How you were wired. God does not want to crush you, does not want to extinguish you, does not want to flatten you, does not want to annihilate you, does not want to exterminate you. He wants to redirect you. You say that again. God does not want to crush what he created. What he created was very good. Does not want to extinguish what you are. Does not want to flatten, annihilate, or exterminate you. He wants to redirect you. He wants to take the temperament which he put into your DNA and use it for his purpose. And it will be different than the person sitting next to you. And one of the things we need to understand is Paul was really good at understanding that all of us are like parts of the body. He uses this illustration all the time. Some people are hands, some people are a mouth, some people are a foot, some people, you know, we're, we're different parts. We have different roles. God wants to take what he intended with you from the moment of conception. Do you know that in every cell of your body, every cell of your body is your whole DNA? If we were good enough at it, we could take your DNA out of that cell and we could recreate a you because everything is in there. There is more information in that one DNA molecule than there is in most supercomputers. You are way more, in fact, your brain has more synapses, more connections than all the stars you see in the sky. And that's a scientific fact. You're bigger on the inside than the universe is on the outside. You ever get lost inside of yourself sometimes? Because it's big in there, isn't it? A lot of stuff in there. It's amazing what's in there. God does not want to squash you. God wants to take you, transform you, and turn you into the best you. That's his plan. Doesn't want to turn Mr. Rogers into Dirty Harry. Doesn't want to turn Dirty Harry into Mr. Rogers. God has a plan for you, and it's written in your genes. Because God made you a certain way. Here's some practicalities. First thing we have to do is break what some of us have as parental curses. Our parents meant well. In general. Some of you might have had some parents who didn't mean well, but in general. Our parents meant well. But most of us heard one of our parents, if not both, say, why can't you be more like so-and-so? Why can't you be more like your cousin? My mother was a wonderful mom, but she often said, why aren't you more like David Wester? her best friend's son because he was more polite than me. And that's a curse that gets thrown on us. Why can't you be more like... You're not supposed to be like someone else. 
you're supposed to be like you. Sure, we can follow a good example of people, but we can't take, you can't fake that you're someone else. Nobody can be a better you than you. And we have to ask the Lord and his Holy Spirit to activate what's in us, not to become like someone else. People can be a good example in terms of character, in terms of ethics, in terms of all kinds of things, but please don't try to be like someone else. And if a parent has spoken that over you, you need to break that curse. Because often parents mean well and they say that. Why can't you be more like so-and-so? I've said that to my son occasionally when I've been angry. In fact, I should probably talk to him about that today. Deliverance from teen prayer pre peer pressure. Our parents tell us, why can't we be like someone else? And then we go to junior high and there's huge pressure to be like a certain kind of person. To dress this way, to act this way, to be this way, to use these kinds of words, to wear the right kind of jeans. And when I was in high school, it had to be Levi's with a red tag, not an orange tag. You have to do this, you have to do that. You can't be yourself. This didn't happen to all of you, but some of you in junior high got a massive dose of, a massive dose of be someone else. Don't be the way you're meant to be. We need to break parental curses. We need deliverance from teen peer pressure. And this is the main theme. If you remember nothing else today, know yourself and grow yourself. Know how you're wired. Ask other people, what do you think my best giftings are, my best talents? I was watching you stand as you were preaching on Sunday at Surf City Church, and I've rarely seen anybody so comfortable in his own skin in front of people. You were very comfortable there. That's a gifting, because that draws people in. And you've got giftings, and if you don't believe it, ask some people around you. What do you think are my giftings? What do you think I'm especially good at? What are my strengths? My wife would say, you're good at carrying heavy things and opening jars, and that's true. But know yourself and grow that person. Phil, you are crazy gifted with lots of instruments. I, every time I see you, you're picking up something else and playing it. That, that is not normal. You need, to, you need to use that gift. A lot of us could practice 10,000 hours and never be able to do that. We all have different giftings. David, you're born to be in sales. You connect with people just like that. You would have probably made friends with this guy and brought him to church, you know, in your own way. This, uh, we all reach people differently. We all reach people differently. And so be that person that God made you to be and be the best at that. Lord, bring out my calling, my vocation. Bring out what I'm best at. So break parental curses, deliverance from teen peer pressure, know yourself and grow yourself, and soar with your strengths. I was in a church in Minnesota and we went from seven employees to 120 in about eight years. And they put me in charge of HR. And I knew nothing about HR, so they sent me to HR school. And I got a certificate in HR. And what they told us in HR school is this. Individuals need to focus on their strengths, and groups need to focus on their weaknesses. 
a group needs to figure out what isn't getting done. What isn't getting finished? Where's the energy leaking out of the system? And let's get someone with those gifts on the team. Because you got all the gifts covered, you got a good team, you get stuff done. That's how that works. But individuals shouldn't focus on their weaknesses. Mother Teresa could have practiced every day and she's never going to be an Olympic weightlifter. Not going to happen. Shaq is never going to be a ballet star or even a free throw shooter. <laughs> Did not have it in him. Soar with your strengths. Sure, you got to watch out for your really bad weaknesses that get you in trouble and your vices. Stay away from those. My mentor said, everybody's got a ladder into hell and you need to stay the H-E double toothpicks away from it. We have to watch out for those things, but focus on your strengths. The problem is we go away from job reviews and the boss says seven nice things about us and one bad thing. What are we thinking about? That's right. That's bad HR right there. We want the person, if you're the boss, you want the employee leaving thinking, I'm really good at this and I can get better. That's what you want to be doing in a job review. Never imitate someone else's DNA. Never do that. Jess doesn't lead worship like Idana, doesn't lead worship like Jen, doesn't lead worship like Kim. They've all got their strengths. When Tamara started preaching, the first thing I said to her, don't preach like me. Preach like you. I had a friend named Glenn Carlson, and he came down, and he was my associate pastor at, uh, at Grace for a few years. And Glenn, in the best sense, is a weirdo. He's just woo, woo. He's one of those, that's who he's, how he's wired. He's just wired spiritually. But he saw me doing PowerPoint and stuff. He started preaching like me. I said, it's not working, Glenn. Just go out there and be weird. And he did, and it was awesome. He'd get like 30 people up for prayer ministry afterwards because he'd just bring out this spiritual stuff. And he was very non-linear. He was all over the place, very random. And he was really good at being random and spiritual. He went right back to being Glenn, and next thing you know, he had 30 people for ministry time at the front again. It's important to be yourself. Don't try to be like your spouse, your siblings, uh, any of those people. That's just such an important thing. Don't imitate someone else's DNA because nobody can do your wiring like you. And put your gifts into the hands of Christ so that he can use them. Dedicate yourself to what God calls you to do. The word vocation comes from vocatio, which means calling. And that implies somebody calling you. You can't have a vocation without a caller. Someone who calls you out to do what you do. I mean, think about it, John. The Lord's called you to figure out sales tax in all the different 50 states. I mean, that would give most of us a stroke. Just, uh, I, I can't even imagine studying anything. <sighs> it just, just scares me. But yet, you have an aptitude for that. He enjoys going to these seminars where they learn stuff like that. He's using his wiring. So I just invite you to take what you have and put it in the hands of Christ. Whether you're wired 
like Mr. Rogers or Dirty Harry or somewhere in between. One is not better than the other. God wants to redirect us. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer here. I just invite you to just stand for a moment and uh, Lord, uh, not everybody here, but uh, perhaps most of us, uh, we're told by a parent, can't you be like, more like someone else? I had a wonderful mom, Lord, you know that, you gave her to me. And, but I still remember her telling me, why can't you pack your suitcase like David Wester? It's so neat. And Lord, you know, because you know everything, I still pack my suitcase stupid. And Lord, you made David Wester to be David Wester, and you made me to be me, and that's never going to be a priority for me. So Lord, for everybody here who's felt that from a parent, why can't you be more like someone else? We just break that curse in Jesus' name. We break it in Jesus' name. There's no power over anyone here. I'm just going to leave that behind today. I pray for supernatural self-knowledge, Lord, for everybody here. That you would supernaturally this afternoon show us how you wired us and why you wired us that way. Because the key to our calling in life, the key to our purpose is to know what we're designed to do. We're all a power tool designed to do something different. Some of us are skill saws, some of us are drill presses. Some of us are joiners. Some of us are disc sanders. We're wired up to do something, and that's the clue to our purpose. Give us supernatural knowledge, Lord, of who we are. Well, Saul was blind, Lord. He spent some time thinking about who he was and spent several years wandering around, the Bible tells us. getting to know himself the self that you made and said this is very good now we pray Lord that your Holy Spirit would come and activate those gifts we see that in the story Lord the Holy Spirit came and activated Paul's assertiveness his directness some of us are more diplomatic, Lord. You'll, you'll activate that. And most of all, Lord, we want to lay our gifts at the foot of your Son, that he would activate those gifts for his cause, the cause of Christ. And our gifts may 
may not be for a churchy thing. It might be to come up with better bolts and nuts or better roofing. We're doing a better job of teaching second grade. But those will be just as spiritual as leading music in church. Or just uh, almost comically, I give you thanks that you didn't make a lot of people like Paul. That would be crazy. You don't need a lot of people who all can turn the world upside down. Stand nose to nose with Caesar. We give you thanks for Paul, Lord, to... Uh, right here is starting to make the jump from your chosen people the Jews to all of your people the people of the earth as Luke said you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth and right here in Huntington Beach we're about as far away as you could be from where that all began Bless us, Lord, as you activate our lives. Free us from comparison with others. Show us our running lane and help us to run that, that race well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the crushing,
the last chorus of God of Wonders, because at the end of the day, it's all for Him. Everything that we are, it's for His enjoyment too, not just to be all that we can be, but God created us for fellowship. We gotta eat all the donuts, so uh, let's do that. And also, we're having lunch for people, young leaders who want uh, training leadership. And that's at my house, 610 Main Street. If you want to join us, we're making lunch right now. So you're welcome to be part of that. And uh, Tamara, how did it go over there? I'm out. Excellent. Tamara's preaching over at Church. So give someone a hug, eat a donut, and uh, hang out until the food is done.